Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, an economic development podcast featuring candid conversations with business leaders across Michigan. You'll hear firsthand accounts from Michigan business leaders and innovators about how the state is driving job growth and business investment, supporting a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, building vibrant communities, and helping to attract and retain one of the most diverse and significant workforces in the nation. Hello, I'm your host, Ed Clementi, and we're glad to have today with us Dale Robertson. He's the president and CEO of the Grand Rapids Public Museum. Welcome to the show, Dale. Thank you, Ed. Happy to be here. So I can call you Dale? I just want to make sure. As long as I can call you Ed. That's fine with me. So let's talk a little bit about the museum because the name really doesn't say what it is, right? So what do you kind of tell people who just see a museum, public museum? It could be anything. What do you tell people what it is? So the Grand Rapids Public Museum is really what's known in the museum field as a general museum. But specifically for us, we're history, science, and culture. Yeah, And so does that mean you're actually broken out into like three sections that way? Or is it just sort of interspersed throughout the place? It's really the three defining themes for all the exhibits, the ones that we call a core. We really don't want to use permanent anymore in the museum world because even something that you think of as permanent is constantly being reinterpreted, just like history is being reinterpreted, or as science is continuing to evolve and change. And, and, and so it's, it's more of an organizing principle. We have, uh, have 250,000 artifacts and specimens by the most conservative count, and 97% of which donated by the people of West Michigan over 167 years. And, and so they, they tend to fall into those three major type buckets. And so that is the organizing principle behind how we take what we have and then how we use it and display it as we interact with the public. Yeah. And we're going to get into a little bit more of what's there, but I think one of the sort of uh, core things that I think is one of the reasons I think we wanted you on the show today is the unique sort of school system you have there and the grant you got recently. Can you sort of uh, touch on those a little bit first up front? Sure. If I could, uh, if I can be museum-y for a minute and, and, and talk a little bit about the, the history, because the history really informs the, the present. And, um, and I, I, I think it's a thing that's, that we're seeing even in the business community. Ford, for instance, you know, as they're looking towards the future with their electrification has really gone back and grabbed hold of their history and is using that to define and inform and even how they present themselves. So it's it's not just a unique thing to one sector. I think it's there's there's work here and value in the larger business community. So for us, our our history goes back to almost the exact time when the Grand Rapids actually became a city. Grand Rapids became a city, got its charter from the state in 1850. We were founded in 1854. And our, our first affiliation just a couple of years in was with Grand Rapids Public Schools. Yeah, and, and Michigan was only like 15 years old. Yeah, right. Yeah. Correct. So very early, right, even in the history of the entire state. And so when, when we begin to, to reassess where, where we were and where we are, we, of course, went back in our history. And, you know, at our core, we're an educational institution. And so that informed us then in actually breaking some museum rules and putting artifacts and specimens in students' hands. And then even uh, copying something, frankly, that the, 
Michigan Historical Museum did, which is allowing classes to come in and use the museum as their classroom for the entire week. And then that got us down the step of then, can we actually create a school? And and with that, you partnered with the Grand Rapids school system? Public or? schools, absolutely right. So that's why that important looking back, our earliest affiliation, this had to be a Grand Rapids public school. And so the Grand Rapids Public Museum is a Grand Rapids Public Museum school, but with partners. Uh, Grand Valley State University College of Education that brings in expertise in place-based education theory. And then Kendall College of Art and Design, which is all about design thinking. And it's all done in this uh, museum atmosphere, which is a very project-based uh, orientation to how we do we do work, as well as investigatory and um, and interpretation based on true and authentic facts. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, recently, as you know, I did a tour both of your institution, but also uh, Kendall, because uh, we had on. Uh, Dr. Eisler, who is the president of Ferris, who's retiring, but he gave me a tour because I worked on it with him back when I was in the legislature. And we were able to sort of pair that up with the College for Creative Studies in Detroit. And they're sort of similar institutions, but different still. And just for example, just to give a plug for the uh you know, the museum or not the museum, the school, Kendall school, but they do, they work with like, even like a lot of the corporate infrastructure over there too, which probably ties into what you guys do with your students too. Right. Oh, absolutely. I, and one of the things that I strengths of West Michigan, you know, having only been here since 1999 is I think we, one of the things that we do really well here are our partnerships and public private partnerships, partnerships within the nonprofit community, community-based organizations. So Absolutely. I think that's part and parcel of just that West Michigan culture and spirit. Yeah. When you walk through Kendall, I remember every floor or major room, he would say who the corporation was that sponsored that room. And a lot of them, obviously, were the furniture companies. So I know what Herman Miller's there, Steelcase. There's another big one. Hayworth. Hayworth. Yeah. And so there is sort of that uniqueness, I think, to Grand Rapids say, versus Detroit. Detroit is so diffuse and diverse. Grand Rapids is kind of focused always about what the, you know, how they get good corporate sponsorship. And I think that probably helps you with your institution a lot. Yeah, no question. Um, the, why don't you talk a little bit too, because I'm going to tease this probably in your headline. Uh, what is the XQ Super School Award? It sounds like something from Marvel Comics, but what is it? So this was one of the just great experiences, I think, for all of us here, uh, but particularly for the for the school. So um, an entity known as the Emerson Collective, which is organized by Lorreen Powell Jobs, uh, created this uh, something called the XQ Super Schools Project. And the whole theory, the goal behind it is to rethink high school. And uh, and so they launched a uh, this competition was nationwide competition where they would award 10 innovative schools, $10 million each. And so we entered, you know, and if there's, turns out there's like say 750 of us and it was a series of steps that you had to go through, answer different things, 
participate in different uh, workshops kind of thing. And, and it was it was very intense, uh, very thorough. And so we applied and as this partnership and the Grand Rapids Public Museum School with the Grand Rapids Public Schools being the ultimate recipient, won one of the inaugural 10 XQ Super School designations, which not only get the designation, but you, you get that support money to help, which really was help helped us launch, helped the, the school launch. So it, it was a it, it was a major accomplishment, and I really think it speaks highly of us. Again, we were the only school that was a partnership, and I think that thing's oh says, really oh yeah yeah all the other schools were standalone, and they all had to be public schools. Right. But still, we were the only the only partnership. And um, and so that was seven years ago. And now we just this year, we graduated the first uh, the first high school class. So, uh, uh, you know, and it was an it's a 90 percent graduation rate, which is really impressive. Well, you sort of smoothed over this, but I think we should highlight it. Uh, that's Steve Jobs widow. Right. His correct. Wife. That right. is correct. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, accomplished in her in her own right. But both Steve Jobs and Lorraine were are were very committed and in, in to education. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you read his book, I yes. might have. And yeah. you know, yeah. I I think my favorite part is the uh, how the function must follow form versus the other way around. And that's where the Kendall probably Institute probably is involved and, and things that are aesthetically pleasing, which also falls into, you know, like the big thing I think he's the most famous for is probably the, you know, the Apple phones. But he, from what I remember, he told his engineers before he went public, he just showed them this little boxy thing before anyone knew what it was going to be and said, this has got to do, it's got to be a phone. It's got to be a computer. It's got to be, you know, all these things. And they had to do it. So, I mean, it was definitely function following the form he wanted because he knew what would sell. And that was his partnership with uh, Wozniak, right? Where Wozniak was kind of the computer guy, but he was kind of like the futuristic visionary guy, right? Yep. And she does that, it sounds like, with schools, too, because schools obviously are going through a lot of changes. COVID probably accelerated a lot of that. Yeah, and I, I think, right, I totally agree with that. And I think part of what it, it, it's that saying that, look, schools have been operating pretty much the same way for years and years and years. And, you know, I know, at least for my myself, I mean, I, I enjoyed my time in school, but I wasn't necessarily built for a desk in a row, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so I know that there's others like me in the museum school, you know, I mean, the museum becomes your entire classroom. That's, you know, the sixth through eighth here. And then the, the ninth is connected to the archives where you just it's the curate your own experience over there. And then for a person who learns like me, you know, kinetic, little tactile, you know, visual, you know, then I mean, it's what a. What a way to go and to be able to to connect, right? And 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 get the most out of that educational experience for yourself as you chart your own path. You're listening to the Michigan Opportunity, featuring candid conversations with Michigan business leaders on what makes Michigan a leading state to live, work, and play. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast. Your path, by the way, you are a downriver guy, but you're in Grand Rapids 
and it's kind of unusual how you got there, but um, your path and I, we should mention how we first met, was uh, both of us got jobs kind of right out of college. You you had a, I think you went to James Madison at Michigan yeah. State, and I was out of Ferris at that point, and we both got hired by uh, a state senator, as we both know, Jim DeSena, and uh, it sort of put us on that path, who was a guy that's kind of really pushed us to do a lot more than I think other staff at that time in the legislature, I think. Yeah, he, he was, he, yes, he put us both on that, that path. In fact, if you remember, we were both term limited. He told, well, yeah, because the leadership, but also he told us ahead of time. He never he, wanted I mean, to He told to us ahead of time. You're, you're here for, I give you a chance to get your feet in the ground and make some contacts and figure out your path. But you know, you're here four or five years maybe. And yeah, there wasn't much coddling in that era. Um, you pretty much were on your own pretty fast. And you, like me, you left home probably at 18 and never looked back. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, why don't, and then after that is you went to go work for the Detroit Chamber, I think. Right at Detroit right? Chamber, right at the very early years of the Mackinac Policy Conference. Yep. Right. And, um, that's when that thing really started taking off when you were there. Like it was a lot smaller conference in the beginning. Oh, even when I came on, I was, I was maybe the third year maybe fourth. And yeah, there were more guests at the hotel who weren't part of the conference than were. And, but that's when that oh, yeah. trajectory really began to go. That was under Frank Smith was the president. Right. So. And I remember someone you might not remember, but Mary Jo Kerpowitz, she was the one running it back then. Yeah. That was after I had, uh, Oh, she ran it after you. Okay. Yeah. I had moved on at that point. Yeah. And she was an intern for Jim DeSena. I might yep. mention as well. Um, so you went from there to Blue Cross then, right? Blue Cross Blue Shield, yeah. And why don't you, it's kind of interesting, how big was your territory when you worked for Blue Cross? Well, when I came over to West Michigan, the territory it was, uh, so we, it was uh, sales and marketing and customer and provider service in uh, like 52, 51, 51 or 52 of the state's 83 counties. So it was essentially the west side of the state and, and the UP. Yeah, it's a pretty big territory. So you had a lot yeah. to deal with. Um, and then how many years again have you been now at the museum? I've been here since 2008. And and, and do you have any other sort of um, sponsors or partners or stakeholders? Because I know you're also doing an interesting growth project, too, at the museum, right? Yeah. So when I took this job in 2008, we were at uh, 68,000 annual visitors. And then 2019, you know, just before COVID, we were up to 259,000. <laughs> Huge. Visitors yeah. And 30,000 uh, student visits a year. And frankly, we were turning school tours away because we're just plain running out of room. Now, you know, one of the reasons for the main reason is we're able to invest with passing a, a millage in 2016. And we're already on this path, but this really allowed us to uh, in, invest is um, is to then take all of our, our tours and programs that we offer for schools and align them to curriculum with pre and post work. And in addition to using the actual artifacts and specimens within those those lessons with the idea that, you know, those visceral kind of experiences and you actually hold a you know, a 3000 year old Babylonian clay tablet in your hand, for instance, which we have one of those, um, 
you know, those kind of visceral experience create the stronger hooks for future information to land on. And so it just began to grow and grow and grow. And we began to bring in more traveling exhibits and make sure that they were aligned in proper ways. So we really need to expand. In addition to that, there's the uh, the whole project in town to restore the rapids, actually put the rapids back into the Yeah, river. you're right on the river. You know, right people on, don't know right that. Right on the river. So we received a special designation as an opportunity site. So how do you, most people are going to interact with that river restoration from the banks. So we'll be that interpretation and education center. And so all that combined to, we are, we have a project to, we do the entire bank, so it'll be full accessibility down into the river so we can have lessons and interactions and, and make it fully accessible to all the community. And uh, in addition, just to expand our, and enhance the space within the museum so we can handle the, uh, the, the educational demand, which at our core, being an educational institution, we're really happy about. And that will allow us to... Uh, to uh, really be on point with with mission. And um, uh, before I ask you your last couple of questions here, but uh, you, I tell you, my favorite part was actually I, after when I toured the museum, it shocked me how big it is. First of all, you had that really cool old street of the old Grand Rapids. But the thing I probably liked the best was the taxidermy area. <laughs> it's I just found that so fascinating that you guys, the city of Grand Rapids or the museum used to have a full-time taxidermist. Sure. This, we were actually a department of the city up until 2006. And at oh, right point, before you got there. At one okay. point in its history, you know, this was some years even back then, their city employed taxidermists because we had a really very robust, and still do, right, a very robust natural science collection. So that doesn't turn, it includes the taxidermy, but we have our, our geology collection is actually phenomenal. And again, just collected over years and years and years of, of generous West Michigan people just, you know, donating those uh, really in, in, in large part. So I know you've already touched on quite a few future trends, you think, but is there any other ones you probably wanted to mention of where you think the role of like a museum will be or with students? Well, I, I think the other thing here is that part of what we've been began a few years ago was putting our our collection online. And so it can be accessible 24 hours a day. You know, the, the muse may hit you later when you get home, right? The root word for museum being muse. And so I, the next step then that is, is that then connecting into digital literacy and by taking our, our collections and by putting it out there and partnering to, to put it on a, a, a accessible platform, so not only you can consume content, but you can use our content to create new content and share it, right? And collaborate with others, particularly out of a school uh, setting, educational setting. I, I think that's that's one of the very important waves in the future. And then it, even connecting within town where we can take uh, uh, photographs even from our own collection. So you're standing on the blue bridge right across from, you know, what did the river look like when it was logging? Well, you know, you can scan and pull up, you know, actual photos from our, our collections and, and get a view of what it was like from that very spot hundred years ago. Yeah. Well, obviously technology is, and digitization process is changing everybody. And obviously the museums are going to have to keep up to keep probably kids' attentions. And also it's just 
makes sense to move in that direction. Too. But the key thing here is is that right balance. So the digital doesn't take over, right? It actually enhances and 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 helps uh, you know fulfill that real experience that you're that you're in. So you you still get the proper feeling and experience that that you need, but the digital enhances it, but doesn't take it over. And I think that's your danger of flipping that and then missing the whole point and then having it fail. And COVID, I think, has shown record numbers for people even wanting to travel and do stuff in Michigan's. I think we're probably the most attractive state in the Midwest right now. And uh, so people did miss that tangible experience. Um, Last couple things is... um, what quick advice would you give your old 17-year-old self uh, back at Roosevelt High School when you were in the marching band? I was in the marching band. I remember. You know, I I, I think it's, it's really a couple of things. You know, it's the how you do something is as important, if not more important, than, than what you do. And it's that um, – and it's, it's, it's listening. It's very important to – to listen and to, it's that old lawyer thing too. get the facts, right. And then be able to, to synthesize that through, through what the reality of the, of, of the world is, right. And, and how are people going to, how are people going to, going to take it? It's the, we were talking earlier, even Steve Jobs, right. How people are going to really use that phone. You know, what is that practical purpose? And so you've got to be able to synthesize, I think, things through that. So how you do something, understanding your entire uh, surroundings and all, all the inputs and, and then what the impact is going to really be on people. Thoreau has a quote, and I'm probably screwing it up or paraphrasing it, but he says, it's OK to build castles in the sky as long as you build a foundation under them. <laughs> yeah, well, that's really a yeah. And and that's kind of what you're hinting at is that, you know, you being an attorney as well, whenever I would, when I was on the bench, I mean, the foundation, it would always, like, you'd always have to make sure you understood where people were going. Why are they asking all these questions? They're building a foundation that will make sense at the end, right? And so it's it's an interesting process. And I know this is going to be a quick question for you, but uh, who's your favorite historical person that you admired from leadership? It would have to be President John F. Kennedy. Now, he's the first president I remember. And um, I know my mother would tell me she put me in front of the TV and when he'd point, I'd point. When he laughed, I'd laugh. And, and so, so, I mean, there's been that attachment since then. But I think the takeaway is he was an aspirational leader, right? Let's get to the moon at the end of the decade. And he told us why we needed to do that. But the other important piece, too, is his profiles in in courage, right? Yeah. And that is, you know, the, the 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 true you know measure of character and greatness and commitment is is to be able to to do the proper thing at the proper time for the proper reasons, even if maybe it's not within your own selfish personal best interest. It's in what's for that greater good for the others that surround you. And for the longer term benefit. And that takes wisdom and some judgment to be able to go through that. And that get, then goes back to even what we we're just saying before about laying that proper foundation. Yeah, the old axiom, uh, build legacies, not monuments, right? Yeah. And uh, your last question, I know you have four kids, but they're a little older now. But uh, where do you guys like to go in Michigan? 
Well, my wife is from Traverse City and grew up in southern Leelanau County, and so that has that's that's our favorite spot, of course. In addition to go, you know, I still like to get down to Down River and 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 see my friends there, of of course. So between the two, that's uh, our homes. Our, our home. I don't think you ever favorite. visited me Down River, but that's okay. Um, so anyway, I want to thank again, our guest today, Dale Robertson. He's the president and CEO of Grand Rapids Public Museum. You did a great job today. Thanks, Dale, for taking time to do this. I appreciate it, Ed. Thank you for having me. Keep up the good work of the museum and good luck on all your future projects there. Thank you. Make sure you join us next week for our guest, Angela Flood. She's the director of business planning and economic development at the American Center for Mobility where they deal with a lot of things that move. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org forward slash radio to put your plans in motion.